Well, good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It is great to see you. Can we welcome our online campus, Appleton campus, Germantown campus? Just give a big hand. Welcome everybody, wherever you are joining us from today. It's great to see you. Well, today, this weekend, we have a guest speaker who is a personal friend of mine and a friend of Life Church. And uh, his name is uh, Randy Valamont. Uh, Dr. Randy Valamont, he has an earned uh, doctorate in religion and philosophy from Lagos University. And uh, he pastors a great church in the metro Atlanta area, uh, about 5,000 uh, people on, every, on an average weekend. Uh, I asked his secretary, could you just send me like the list of boards that he's on? And uh, so I got like a full page, single space. I was like, I, I, it'll take 30 minutes to get through all this. So um, he serves uh, the Assemblies of God in so many capacities nationally, internationally, and also in the state of Georgia. And uh, one of the largest mission-giving churches that we have in our fellowship of churches. And just uh, um, an incredible uh, communicator, pastor, teacher. Uh, I have been around the world with him, and, uh, and I have been in, at his place more times than not. Uh, and, uh, and he's been here, and uh, he's done some board uh, retreats for us as a church uh, it was years ago because uh, it's hard to get a guy at this level to be able to get away for a weekend and uh, to come and to minister uh, because he's got his own responsibilities. But we were able to make this happen. And it's been years since he's been able to be with us, and I wanted him to see some things that are happening and what God's doing with us. The biggest thing I could say, though, of all the accolades, of all the degrees and all the committees and all the appointments that he has and what, how God has used him, even in the 23 years he's been pastoring at Griffin First Assembly, is um, the friendship that I have. I'll never forget, I had been pastoring here for about a year. Uh, the church was growing, but it was small. Uh, we had just done a fall fest in the parking lot and had rented some inflatables. Uh, had was right at 200 people that weekend. was the biggest attendance we'd ever had in the history of the church at that point in time. Uh, I was a kid from, moved here from Oklahoma and we're still trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? Do you have me here for a season, for a reason? What's happening? What's going on? And uh, I had a friend of mine, uh, and I just said, man, I just need to kind of get away for a few days. So on my own dime, I got a plane ticket, and he was uh, on staff uh, working at uh, uh, Pastor Valamont's church. And uh, he said, why don't you just come down and hang out with us, meet Pastor Valamont, come and just sit in staff meeting and all of this. And uh, I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. I just need to just to kind of... I'm just trying to figure some things out and trying to, God, what are you doing, and so forth and so on. So long story longer, uh, that morning I, uh, I was reading, I was just really praying, and I, and I came across a, a, a proverb that says, boast not of tomorrow because you know not what today will bring forth. And you know how Scripture just can kind of just speak to you and just leap off the page. It was like, today, Aaron, I'm going to open a door for you that's going to be transformative in your life and in the life of your church. And so, okay, great. So I went on, had my Wheaties that morning, went in and uh, was there at the church and hanging out with my friend. And, and uh, Pastor Valamont said, hey, I'd like to, uh, if you got a few minutes, want to want to connect with you. And I was told later on that wasn't something that was common. And, and so he brought me in his office and I sat down and he just began just to kind of pour into me and just kind of opened the door to me. And it hit me, this is what God was speaking in my life. And so for all the things that he is uh, in the Assemblies of God and, and around the world and at the great church there in Georgia, to me, he's been a le leader, he's been a mentor, he's been a friend, uh, and he's been some and a pastor in the faith that I highly respect. 
and, and, and greatly admire. And so I just asked him to come and just share with us this weekend. Uh, also, by the way, I just connect some dots. He is Pastor Kevin and Noel Miller. He's their home church pastor. And so, uh, so if you don't like Kevin and Noel, you can blame him for that. If you like him, holla. So anyhow, that's how it is. So would you give a great Life Church welcome to my friend, our guest speaker, Pastor Randy Bellamont. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> I love your pastor. Uh, you've got one of the greatest pastors in America. You know that, right? <laughs> Tammy is just amazing. Uh, she is like Jelly. They get free passes. Jelly's my wife's name. They get free passes to heaven because they live with guys like us. And um, it's so good to see you. You're an amazing group of people, and the destiny of God is upon this church. Uh, it's a joy to be here. I've been so looking forward to coming to see all that Jesus has done for this church and all that he's doing in all of you in pastor's life. I love your pastor. He, uh, we both really like to laugh. And so when we get together, we laugh. And he, we went out to play golf, and we walked this one course on, on Friday it's 8,000 yards straight. But he and I play military golf. How many of you know what military golf is? Left, right, left, right. <laughs> so we don't hit it straight. We just hit it all over. So we have seen a lot of Wisconsin this, this particular weekend, just let you know. And, um, you know, when you get a little older, I'm, I'm about 14 years older or 12 years older than Pastor. So, you know... You, you, you don't want to lose your man card. You know what I'm saying? So you don't want to complain if you're hurting or anything like that. And, I, you know, my feet, they're barking. I'm hurting. And I'm, I'm not saying anything. But thank God, Pastor, so honest. He said, dude, my feet are killing me. I said, thank God. <laughs> Misery loves company, right? Would you stand? I want to read to you a passage of Scripture. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. First Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. I want to title this message, Living Like a Miracle When You Feel Like a Mistake. You ever felt that way? Look at your neighbor and say, I can tell you have. Go ahead. Go ahead. But at the same token, God has a plan for us. He has a big plan for us. In, in verse 1, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. And I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go if Saul hears it? He'll kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one that I name you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? That's pretty cool. When a man of God comes into town, everybody was afraid. How do you remember those days when, when in the kingdom of God and in America that the preachers used to have all the influence, not the politicians? Verse 5. And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourself. Come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came. He looked at Eliab. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Can you say amen to that? 
For he looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at his heart. So Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And this is where I really want to focus on verse 11. Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. Now, you got to understand, that was the dirty job of the day. That was the guy that took out the garbage. That was the guy that, you know, you gave all the bat because he was the least on the totem pole in that culture. And Samuel said to Jesse, send him, bring him here, for we will not sit down until he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy. That word ruddy means he was a redhead. Imagine that in that culture when you have uh, dark skin, dark hair, dark eyes. And David's a redhead. How many redheads we have in here? You're special. Amen. <laughs> he said, Arise and anoint him, for this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel went to Ramah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the word of God. We thank you for what you're going to do today. Bless this time together, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. You can be seated. i tell you a little bit about myself. I've been married for uh, 36 years. Got married when we were real young. And uh, I have three girls, and they are the love of my life, and a son-in-law, and I like him too. And Because, uh, <laughs> you know, there are in-laws and there are outlaws. And, uh, and then I have the most perfect granddaughter in the world, only one, six years old, and I am Pops, and, and she gets everything, and um, you, know what, you know what grandchildren are? They are God's reward for not killing your own. That's what they are. <laughs> but there's a story I want to tell you about this morning. You know, we all have different situations in life, and I had one of my pastors who had a bicycle accident and uh, thank God he's recovered and he's doing well. But it reminds me of the story of the preacher who was making his rounds on a bicycle. In the south, they all ride bikes. And I've seen people riding bikes here. And he was making his rounds, riding a bike. He saw, he saw this little boy um, pushing a lawnmower. And he thought, I need a lawnmower. So he stopped and asked the little guy. He said, how much would you uh, take for that lawnmower? He says, well, I'm trying to use it so I can save up money to buy a bike. And the preacher said, well, how about we trade? So the little boy says, okay, let me take the bike for a ride. He takes the bike for a ride. He says, okay, that's good. And then the preacher says, well, let me try the lawnmower out. So he starts pulling the lawnmower and pulling the lawnmower and pulling the lawnmower. And after three or four pulls, nothing's happening. He says to the little boy, he says, you know, the lawnmower doesn't work. He says, yeah, it works. You just have to cuss it. And the preacher said, now, wait a minute. I've been saved so long. I don't even know if I know how to cuss it. I, I, I mean, that's not even part of my life anymore. He said, you keep pulling that lawnmower, it'll come back to you real quick. <laughs> you know, the life of David is filled with twists and turns. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story. I was adopted when I was three days old, raised in a great home, always felt like God's hand was upon my life. My parents told me all the right things, but I, I didn't realize that most adoptive children are born with what they call rejection syndrome. 
Now that rejection syndrome means that a child in its mother's womb knows whether it's wanted or not. Obviously, um, if you're, you're being adopted out, there's, there's a thing where the mother knows they're going to give you up. So I was born with that, and so all my life, I kind of had this idea that I had to prove myself and be better than everyone else, and I just had this little bit of insecurity that I had to get over. Well, I kind of made peace with all that because I thought I was Italian. How many Italians are in? Any Italians in here? Okay. You know, special people, special people. You know, I really grew up, you know, with the Rocky Balboa age, the Italian stallion, good looking. I was so proud. You know, I thought that I was the product of two kids in the backseat of 59 Chevy that got out of hand, and that's how I came into the world. That's what I thought, you know. Nobody actually told me that, but sometimes you just, you got to wrap your arms around things and do that. Well, all that went on, and then about 15 years ago, my oldest daughter almost died. They did all these tests and couldn't find out what was wrong. Thankfully, they found out later. But my wife thought it was because something in my biological background. Well, I, I never wanted to know who my adoptive or my biological parents were because I had the most fantastic adoptive parents anybody could ever want. And they're, they're the people I call my parents. But we had to go looking. The first shock was I found out that my parents weren't just teenagers. They were 34 and 31. So that told me that they were either having an affair or they were too poor to keep me. So we did some more research, and I was out in California doing a leadership conference. My wife calls me on the phone, and she is laughing hysterically. She said, I just found out what you are, and this explains everything. Now, when you're married 22 years and your wife says that, you know, I may not look real smart, but there's certain questions you never ask. And I said, well, I'm Italian. She said, no, you're not even close. I said, well, if I can't be Italian, I'll be Greek. They're good-looking people. You're not close. So we played this game. So I said, okay, what am I? And she told me, she said, your mother was full-blooded German. Your father was full-blooded Iranian. So I stand here before you a Geranian. Now, you, I'll tell you a little bit more of that later. But in the life of David, I found some things that really helped me put life together. And I don't know where you're at this morning or what you're feeling this morning, but I want to give you three basic truths out of the life of David. The first one is found here in 1 Samuel 16. When others discount you, remember you count with God. Now, understand with me that David was one of eight brothers, but only seven showed up. And I did some research on this, and the reason why is David was the son of a concubine. Now, all the Jewish boys were, were dark hair, dark skin, dark eyes. David was a redhead, little light skin, and more than likely had blue eyes. David didn't fit in. So when the prophet came, his dad put him aside. And there are times in all of our lives when people would try to push us aside. His own father didn't even want him. He wasn't the typical Jewish boy. Even the prophet did not understand who he was because the prophet was going to choose his oldest brother, Eliab, because he was good-looking, tall. He thought, this is what a king is supposed to look like. But God then opened the eyes of the prophet to see who David is. And I want to share something with you. 
When others don't know who you are, when others can't see what God's hand is upon your life, you keep doing the right thing. David was out there tending sheep, obeying his father, doing the minutia of the family that was not the best thing to do, but he was faithful in what he was supposed to do. And God found him out there in that shepherd's field and brought him to a place to where he could be anointed one day to fulfill his destiny. And I want to remind you today that God knows where you're at. You may think God has forgotten where I'm at. God's forgotten about my family. God's forgotten about me. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus hasn't forgotten you. That the Holy Spirit knows exactly where you're at. Look at your neighbor and say, he'll find you one day. Second thing I want to share with you is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 31 and 37. When others dismiss you, remember God's destiny upon your life. You know, I told you I was adopted in... My, my parents adopted me because they couldn't have biological children. And then 11 months after they adopted me, they had their own uh, child. And, and, and I've got two brothers now, and it, it's just amazing. But my, we lived in upstate New York, and you say, you lived where? With your accent? Listen, I married a girl from Tennessee. I can twang it with the best of them. But originally, I'm a Yankee. My wife calls it something else, but I'm a Yankee. Amen. And... We went to school. Kindergarten was great. It was fantastic. You know, they set you alphabetically. Valamont was all the way at the end. And by the third day of school, I want you to know by the third day of school, my desk was right up there next to the teacher's desk. I thought I was the teacher's pet. <laughs> Found out later I was the problem child. Kindergarten was great. First grade, my brother comes to school, or and he's in kindergarten, somebody asks him, is that your brother? And he slips up, and he says, well, not really. We adopted him, but he's my brother. From that point on, they used the biblical term, my classmates and others in that school, to describe me. They called me a bastard. Now, that's not a good thing. And I began to fight one or two times a week when people do, did that. I mean, me and the principal were great friends. I mean, I was so thankful I found sports because you could hit people and not get in trouble. <laughs> I was a football player, and oh, I enjoyed it. In the heat, whatever, you could hit people and not go to jail. I want to <laughs> I, I tell you. That God has a destiny on your life even when others dismiss you. David's own brothers, this is the story of David going to fight Goliath. His own brothers didn't think he should be there. Even his, his oldest brother Eliab said, what are you doing here? You should be back there tending the sheep. And David didn't allow that to hinder him from the call of God that was on his life and what God had destined him to do. You see, do your best with what God entrusts you with. And he'll bless you with things you can't even imagine. Even King Saul, even King Saul didn't think David could do the job. Now, history tells us David was probably four foot ten, four foot eleven. Goliath, ten and a half to eleven feet tall. He had 
six fingers on one hand, six fingers on another, six toes on each foot. I have been to the Valley of Elah where this fight took place in Israel. In fact, I just got back from Israel a week ago. And I have seen this valley. And, and it, it's like one side is, is a mountain range that's probably 100 feet high. And another side is another mountain range that's probably 75 feet high. And then in the valley, you know, and you, you could hear people yelling across this big valley. And that's where the fight was going to be. And Goliath would come down in that valley and yell to people and say, send me down a champion. Whoever wins the battle. The other nation will serve him. And, and the Bible says that Saul on down, everybody was afraid. Here's this little four foot 11 guy. He comes in, he said, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that he should say this about the Lord? So it goes through the camp. Somebody tells Saul, hey, we've got a nut that wants to go out and fight Goliath. Save the faith. Oh, King Saul said, bring him in. He brings him in. He sees this little short run, four foot eleven. David was small by anybody's size, and Saul said, um, "Here, let me give you my armor." Now the Bible says that Saul was the tallest man in all of Israel, so you can imagine <laughs> what his armor looked like when David tried to put it on. And David said, "I'm not. I'm not going to put on that armor. I haven't tested it." And the king said, "Well, how can you go out and find it?" He said, "Your servant has killed." Both the lion and the bear. And I got a word for somebody this morning. Some of you are going through something very difficult. You don't understand why it's so difficult. And it's the toughest fight you've ever been in in your whole life. But God is getting you ready to face your Goliath. Because there's something big that God wants to do in your life. You don't see it right now, but it's the lion and the bear has to be dealt with. Now... Now, lions are dangerous. I've been to Africa, been on safari, and in fact, I've been from here to this front row to a live lion in, in the wilderness. We were up in a, in a jeep, and it, this side was unprotected, and we're standing there, and the lion's got blood all over his face, and everything's going on, and, and the guy is saying, oh, don't worry, he's already eaten. Well, you're look, he's looking at me, you know, those lions cross-eyed, they're looking at me, and I'm thinking, he's thinking, that's Thanksgiving and Christmas all in one meal. I told the guy, I said, let's move. I mean, I was perspiring. And I found out later that lions, with one sweep of their paw, can decapitate a human being. The Bible says David grabbed the mane of the lion and killed him. Now, you think about that. He killed a lion with his bare hands. He killed a bear. And when it came time for his destiny to present itself, this four foot eleven little guy stands up to the king and says, I can do this because God has been preparing me my whole life to do just this. And I want to say to you something this morning. That perhaps the things you're going through you don't understand. But God may be getting you ready to walk into your destiny that could change a life like you can't even imagine. The third thing is this. Remember, when others discount you, you count with God. When others dismiss you, you have a destiny with God. But when others destroy your dreams, remember God's ability to restore them. I want to tell you that God has never asked me to do anything in my life 
that I felt like I could really do. Every assignment the Holy Spirit has ever given me in ministry or in life, I've come to the Lord and I said, God, this is too big for me. You know, every time our church grows one person, I am now pastoring the largest church I've ever pastored. We have six campuses, two Hispanic campuses, an online campus, television, radio. Man, I always thought I had a face for radio, not for television. And I, I, I never wanted to be on radio or television because of the scrutiny. You know, you have to pronounce your words. And, and where I'm at, sometimes I make them up. And just sometimes things come out. And they have to edit me all the time. And we have a 10-second delay on our live feed. So our guys can, can edit me out sometimes. And I've never done anything that I felt like I could do. But here in this passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 6, David had been given Ziglag by one of the kings. The king Achaz of Gath of the Philistines. And so he had moved his family, his wives and his family, and he moved his mighty men and their wives in. And this Ziglag had become a part of what you could call it was David's first city. One day David and his men went out to conquer and to do battle, and when they came back, the Amorites had come in, they had burned the city to the ground, they had taken all of the men's wives, all of the children, all the wealth from the city and left. And it was a disaster. Now sometimes the devil will try to take the very thing that God has promised you and put into your life. Sometimes he'll try to take that promise and rip it out of your life and rip it out of your heart. And the devil will come and tell you it's impossible for you to get it back. But listen to what David did in verses 16 and 20. The Bible says that the people spoke of stoning David. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. And when bad things happen in your life, that's not the time to run. That's not the time to go into depression. That is the time to get alone with God and start praying and reading your Bible and get a word from the Lord. Pastor gave a testimony this morning of how when he first came, God gave him a word. And ladies and gentlemen, wherever you're at today, the Holy Spirit wants to do something special for you. Now, I told you a little bit about my story, but let me tell you the rest of it. What happened was that my father was a medical doctor. And my mother was working in the hospital he was working in, in Johnson City, New York. And they were having an affair. Whenever my mother got pregnant, my father would do the abortion. Now, my father, I told you, was from Iran. And I found out that it was a little bit more than just being from Iran. That my paternal grandfather was a sheikh under the Shah of Iran. You may call him sheikh, but over there they call him a sheikh. He was related to the Shah and the Queen. And my father and my half-brother and sister, four nights a week, would go to the palace there in Iran, and they would have dinner with the Shah of Iran and the Queen four nights a week. Me, I was raised in upstate New York. I was raised on Rock Street, New York, and while they were in the palace, I was, li I was the only house in North Valley, New York, that had an outhouse. And I used to charge people a quarter to come see the outhouse. 
because nobody else had an outhouse. And I thought it was the coolest thing that we had an outdoor bathroom. And my mother stopped me from doing that because she said we were poor. We weren't supposed to profit off of our poverty. Figure that. But anyway. So when the Shaw's wife, the queen, got sick, they called my father back to do the surgery. My mother found out she was three months pregnant right after he left. And by the time he got back into the United States, she was six months pregnant. Abortion was illegal at the time. And if he'd have tried to done it then, he would have been found out. That's how I came into being. Once I started finding out the story, I met my biological mother and found out I had four brothers and sisters. And I'm glad to report to you, they're all saved now. My biological mother's gone on to be with the Lord. And I went to meet my biological father who lives who lived at that time in Boston, a very well-to-do place, who was a Muslim. I sent him a Farsi Bible. And I remember I wanted to meet him just one time, and my girls were with me that first time. And I walked in, and he looked at me and says, I've told you I never want to see you. I will never claim you. Why are you here? And I said, well... Number one, I just want to see what you look like. He's tall, beautiful gray hair, good-looking guy. I thought, man, I got a good future. You know, he was 83. Um, I didn't get the skinny gene. I got this gene from my mother's side. You know, the Germans, we all eat good. Somebody say amen. All right. I brats, by the way, brats for lunch. Amen. But he said, why else are you here? I said, I just want to tell you. Jesus loves you. That was 12 years ago. I thought that was it. I filed it away. That part is over. I found out I have a brother. His name is Muhammad Fatui. My dad's name was Parvez Fatui. And I found out I have a sister now. Her name is Nilu. And I never thought I would ever meet him because I gave my word to that man that I would never never interfere in his family. I get it. I'm a pastor. I understand. He didn't want to claim me. I got it. I've got wonderful parents. I could live the rest of my life like that. But I've got a middle daughter, Danielle, who helps us in CMM with Holda Bentain's ministry. And I sent her last May up to Boston, and she began to ask her mother a lot of questions. We were in Pebble Beach. And I didn't know what she was asking all these questions for. I just dismissed it. I wanted to play golf. I didn't care. It's her and her mother. She flew up to Boston. She got all the information where my biological brother lived. She went into this beautiful area, knocked on my brother's door. When she knocked on his door, this courageous young woman started crying, and she said, my name is Danielle Valamont. I think you're my brother, my father's brother, and I just wanted to tell you you have another brother. And you know, if it was Americans, we'd have probably shut the door in her face. But you've got to understand the Iranian culture. My brother invited her in, and for the next six hours they talked. And I got a call about 8 o'clock one night, and for the first time I heard my brother's voice. He said, where have you been all my life, my brother? When can I see you? In June 
the latter part of June, we set it up. My brother and his wife and my sister and her son, they flew down to Atlanta to see us. We met at a Persian restaurant, and it was amazing. I walked in, and I saw where I was from, and I saw, and I heard the stories, and, and I found out that I'm royalty. You know, you heard of the Prince of Persia? That's me. The reality is we are related. We're first cousins to the queen, and, and although we're in exile, still a prince. No money, but still prince. Of course, my girls like that because I always called them princesses, and now they really are. We met, and they came to church. I didn't know. They'd never been to a church, never walked into a church before. They, they grew up. They, they'd never been in a Christian church, and so they're coming to church in the South on Freedom Day celebration, God and country. We got... 25,000 people are going to be there for our, our freedom celebration. They're sitting on the front row, and I'm thinking, dear God, don't do anything this morning. Let's just be calm. You know, it's hard to do in the South. Be calm. And my sister, my brother sat right there, my brother with a big smile on my face, my sister weeping. Afterwards, we go up to the green room. My sister says, I want to read your book. I said, what book? She said, the Bible. I said, what kind do you want? She said, any kind you want me to read. That's what I want to read. And they look at me and they say, how do you want us to tell Papa? That's my biological father. I said, well, you know, the last time we talked, it wasn't real good. And my brother said, no, he will not treat you. You are one of us now. I said, you know, that's up to you. you. said, no, how do you want to do it? I said, I'll leave it up to you. December 26th, they had a meeting of the Fatui clan. People from Iran, London, all over the country flew in. There was more money in that room than any room I'd ever been in my life. I couldn't believe the people that were in that room. And they were there to introduce me to the family. But my father couldn't come because he had been diagnosed with cancer. So after the family reunion, I flew to Phoenix. The first day we were there, my brother and his son and my, my sister and his son and my, my, one of my cousins was there in the room and I just introduced myself and you know, it was kind of just surface relationship. I didn't want to go too deep because everybody was there and I didn't want to say anything. But the next day, we spent the night at my sister's. The next morning we went back Everybody was gone but my sister and I. And I pulled my seat up next to my father. And what I didn't tell you was my father was like the Surgeon General of, of Iran. He treated Nixon, treated Carter, treated the Queen when they came. He was over the mil U.S. military base before the overthrow happened. He hated, he hated what the Imams had done to Iran and we sat there and I started talking to him about my faith I started telling him that I worked with Hulda Montaigne, we had a 175 bed hospital, 19 clinics we, we help 32,000 children, we feed, educate medically, says 15,000 people a day and my father looked at me and with tears in his eyes he said I'm sorry son 
the first time I met you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I rejected you. And he said to me, he said, please forgive me. I love you. And I was able to reach over there, hug my father, and kiss him. And he raised his hand to God. You see, what men said could never happen. What I thought could never happen. God, in his infinite mercy and grace, brought back together. Now listen to me, beloved. If God can do that in my life, if God can work that kind of miracle in my life, surely he can work that miracle in your life. Whatever circumstance you may be facing this morning, God loves you. When others dismiss you, remember God has a destiny for you. When others discount you, remember you count with God. And when others try to destroy your dream, remember you serve a God, a big God, who can restore what the canker worm and the locust has taken away. God can give it all back. And today is your day for your restoration. Miracles happen when people believe. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your presence and your anointing. I thank you for the goodness of God. And I pray your miracle presence will be upon us in Jesus' name. Amen.